0: Good evening, Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll find our text tonight. I told, spoke up from the front pew and told Rick and Brother Eric that I would make up for us starting late by ending early. That's what I used to say when I was late for work at SAU. I'd say, sorry I'm late, I'll leave early to make up for it. But I don't know if they ever caught on to that or not. But Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll find our text tonight. You know, it's always great, it's always exciting to have one of our missionaries that we support uh, here with us in the service. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed Brother Tom's presentation this morning, and I hope you did too. And, you know, he's not just one we support, but, you know, he's actually a missionary we send. As Brother Eric made mention this morning, he's a member of this church. And so the work he's doing there is uh, an extension of this church as he's doing that. And, and what an exciting uh, report it was that he gave this morning But, you know, beyond that, I'm so excited and so happy every time I see the financial statement to see how much this church devotes to mission work around the world. It's absolutely an amazing thing, and I believe with all my heart that that's one of the main reasons why God continues to bless this church is because this church is so faithful to give to his work all over the world. But you know where it gets dangerous? And you say, wait, well, hey, what do you mean it gets dangerous? We're talking about giving to the work of you know, the kingdom. Why is this dangerous? No, where it gets dangerous is when we, as individual Christians, think we've done something because the church wrote a check. That's where it gets really dangerous to say, wait a minute, I'm doing my part in the Great Commission. I'm doing my part in reaching the world with with the gospel and for the kingdom because I pay my tithe or I give to the church, and then in turn the church writes a check to these missionaries. That's when it gets dangerous, when we think we individually have done something through that. And so this passage of scripture we're going to look at, here in Matthew chapter 9, it's been on my heart as I've thought about Vacation Bible School coming up, and Awana just around the corner, which I won't tell you this, but that means school is getting ready to start, you know, before too long, and you got a teacher that I happen to live with on the back row, a retired teacher sitting over here going, ha ha, school's about to start, some teachers back here, I won't tell you that school is around the corner, but Awana is getting ready to start before too long. One week from tomorrow, I'm praying this place is wild with all kinds of little kids here for Vacation Bible School and our teenagers who come and we do fun things with the teenagers. And Gina tells me about 35 adults have signed up to help with Vacation Bible School. 35 adults getting down in the trenches getting dirty, getting their hands dirty, doing the work of the church here with our kids. And so this passage of scripture has been on my mind as I've thought about this. And it's in Matthew chapter 9, and let me set it up uh, just a little bit before we read it. This is a turning point, not only in, in Matthew's gospel, but this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus has been doing some really, really awesome things leading up to this point, and he continues to do so afterwards. I mean, he's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been uh, giving the blind the ability to see. He's been giving the deaf the ability to hear. He's been doing so many amazing things. But there's one problem. Up till this point, he's really been doing it all by himself. He's been doing it all by himself. He had his disciples. He had those following him. But up until this point, they've just been observers. They've been students learning from the master teacher. And so now it's time for them to get their hands dirty. Now it's time for them to start doing the work. If the good news of Jesus was to reach the world, if the good news of Jesus was even to reach those alive during that time when he's ministering, Jesus knew it would take more than himself to tell everyone. So it was time for the disciples to get their hands dirty. So let's read here in Matthew chapter 9 to see what happens, to see what moves Jesus to make this shift at this point. It's a shift from Jesus doing everything himself essentially to Jesus beginning to train and send out his disciples to to assist him and doing the work, and then the fun part comes because we get to see then how we personally fit into this story. Just a few passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 36, he writes, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you that that you've given us work to do. I pray tonight that as we look into your word, you would speak to our hearts, show us the work that you want us to do in your harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I said it before, and I say it again. We have no business calling ourselves Christians unless we're willing to model our lives after the life of Christ. Because after all, that's what the word Christian means, Christ-like. So if we refuse to live in the way Jesus lived, we can't say we're Christians. So when it comes to how we view the world around us, we have no choice but to view the world and the way Jesus viewed the world. You know, I'll get off on a soapbox here pretty easy, but a lot of times we don't view the world the way Jesus viewed the world. We view the world with a hypercritical eye. Don't we like to criticize? We like to run people down? Well, look at what Jesus did. Look at how Jesus viewed the world around him. There's this multitude. This multitude, this great crowd of people. They've been following Jesus everywhere he went, from town to town, from place to place, from house to house. This crowd has been following Jesus because some of them are amazed at the things he's done. Some of them have been following around just to see the miracles. I'd love to have seen the miracles. I would love to have seen Jesus raise someone from the dead or, or to restore a vision to someone who had none. Some people are following him around just to see that. Some people are following him around because they've personally experienced his power. Some are following him around because they've heard his message and they like his message. Some are following him because they believe. Some because they're just amazed. Unfortunately, and I don't think this has changed... Some people are following Jesus just to see what they can get out of him. That's happening in this multitude. And so as you see that, you know, it would be really easy for Jesus to get annoyed with a lot of these folks. It would have been really easy for Jesus to try to send them away. It would have been really easy for Jesus to call them out for the hypocrites that they are. But instead, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus looked at the world in a completely different place i mean look at what he's been doing look back up in verse 35 jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind or healing every sickness and every disease among the people i'd follow him wouldn't you if you saw this coming through wouldn't you follow him around wouldn't you want to see the next thing and so Jesus turns, and you picture Jesus. I don't know exactly where he's standing when he does this. I kind of picture him up a little elevated because he sees the multitude. He sees the big crowd. And what does it say happens? How does he view them? It says he's moved with compassion. He wasn't moved with indignation. He wasn't mad. He didn't say how dare they just follow me around for what they can get out of me. He didn't just say how dare they follow me around for the show. He was moved with compassion. Because here's what we need to see. Jesus cared about the people. Jesus cared about the people. You know, when uh, on Wednesday nights during the school year, we've got a hundred kids are so running around here. You know, I mean, you've got the, with, between the teenagers and the kids, and then you've got all the workers who some act like kids, but that's okay. There's a bunch of people here on Wednesday night during the school year. And you know what? Some of those kids are just here for the show. They're just here for game time. They're just here to have fun. Some of those kids are only here because mom and daddy wanted a free babysitter. And that's okay. We're willing to do it. Because we get to share the love of Jesus with them while they're here. Some kids are here because they really believe. And they really want to hear the gospel. They really want to learn more. The same thing happens with Vacation Bible School next week. And so, you know what? We can't look at that crowd and get annoyed at those facts. We have to look at those kids... And we have to look at them the way Jesus did, moved with compassion and caring for those around us. You know, the, the, the original word here that's translated as, uh, as felt compassion, being moved with compassion, quite literally refers to the intestines or the bowels. Now, that's something. Kind of like, you know, you see those shirts, I heart NY, I love New York, you know? But we need a shirt that says, I, and then like an intestinal tract, my community. I mean, how about that? You're saying, this is kind of getting strange here. Well, then let me explain. You know, there's a lot. Emotion really stirs the intestinal tract, doesn't it? Boy, can't stress really cause you some pain, some heartburn? can really mess you up. You know all how this stuff happens, what affects your gut when you're uh, really emotional about something. You know, you can lose your appetite. You can, A lot of other things can happen, that we just won't talk about that anymore. But you know that emotions can really mess with your intestines, can really mess with your gut, and so knowing that, it's not strange to know that these people in Jesus' day associated such deep compassion with the gut. It's like saying, they say, I got a gut feeling about that. You know, today we might say, I love you with all my heart. Well, you know, well, this is pr- pretty much saying, you know, I love you with all my gut, right? I mean, we think it's weird. But to them, it's, it's like us saying, I love you with all my heart. You see, they associate the heart more with the mind. We associate the heart more with feelings. They associate the gut more with feelings than the heart with the mind. But Jesus had a gut-wrenching compassion for the people in this crowd. Because yes, he saw their pain. Yes, he saw their sickness. He saw their mental anguish. He saw every physical ailment. As he looked across that multitude, he knew exactly what was wrong with every single person because he created them. He is God. But even more than that, even more important than that, he saw something else. And it's what ought to stir us to compassion. He saw their need for salvation. He saw their need for redemption from their sins. And here's what he saw. Look in verse 36. He says, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. If you were here last week on Sunday night, now I wasn't here on Sunday morning because I was preaching uh, homecoming up at Hampton, but on Sunday night, I really enjoyed Brother Eric's sermon. He talked a lot about shepherds. He may have talked about them Sunday morning, too. I haven't gone to Bristol Baptist. He talked about shepherds. And uh, he talked about how the shepherd cared for the sheep and protected the sheep. And so as Jesus looks amongst this crowd, he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. You see, without a shepherd, there was no one to protect them. There was no one to care for them. There was no leadership Amongst the group. In other words, in church lingo, they were lost. They were completely lost. And so as Jesus looked out among the crowd, he was moved with compassion. And he looked at his disciples because he, Jesus knows there's no way I individually can reach all these people by myself. He looks at his disciples and he utters the words of verse 37... The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, I can't get to them all by myself. And here's the fact of the matter. Here's something that Jesus understood that all too often maybe we don't understand. Maybe in this moment the disciples didn't understand it. You see, the harvest is plentiful, and at some point, every single person on earth will be harvested. Every person will be harvested. Whether it's through the harvest of salvation. You know, I love First Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be called up together in the clouds and forever we'll be with the Lord. We're all going to be harvested. Whether we're dead, already with Jesus, the dead in Christ rise first, and then those of us who remain harvested. Or does that leave the people who don't know Jesus as their Savior? Well, the Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You see, Jesus knows as he looks amongst the crowd, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people around us. On our day-to-day basis, as we go about our lives, there's a lot of people around us. The harvest around us is plentiful. We ought to be moved with compassion, knowing that there are people around us who are not saved. And that one day they will die, because the Bible says we're all going to die. And if they die without Jesus, they'll go straight to hell. And what have we done to try to prevent that? You see, that's the thought that moved Jesus with compassion. Jesus ministered compassionately and tirelessly because he knew that judgment was coming for those who didn't believe. We ought to have that same drive. But you know, there's something wrong because churches are dying all across America today. Churches are dying around the world. People who call themselves Christians, a lot of them don't even go to church anymore. You know, they do surveys. And, uh, you know, for instance, Todd Cox, the missionary that we went out to help in the Atlanta area earlier this summer, he said they had done a survey in that area, some group had, and about 40% of the people who live in that county, 225,000 some odd people, about 40% professed to uh, go to church. They profess to be Christians, profess to be church-going Christians. He said, so we know that less than that actually go to church. How do we know that? Because you run into somebody on the street and you say, hey, I'd uh, love to have you at Bristol. They say, oh, I go to church at such and such church. And you know they don't go to church at that church. I've told the story before when I went to First Baptist Church Magnolia. I'd see people and I'd say, Hey, uh, where did you go to church? They say, I'll go to First Baptist. I say, Oh, so do I. They say, I said, I've never seen you there. They, oh, well, I sat in the balcony. I said, Oh, I sat in the choir loft. I can see the balcony. People lie about going to church. So if so many people profess to be Christians, but they don't even go to church, Are they witnessing? I'd venture to say probably not, but a more important question. I ask to every person in this room, and I ask to myself, how much time do we spend witnessing? You see, we can't judge those people who don't come to church if we're not doing it ourselves. The Great Commission is clear. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we like to stop there. You know, we, we do. We like to stop there. Say so the Great Commission is to make disciples. But did you know it didn't stop there? It keeps on going. It says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. See, the Great Commission involves us teaching others. And you say, oh, well, you know, uh, Jesus said, you know, let your light so shine before men that others see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. I mean, I like that verse, too. I've used it quite a bit. But, you know, there's only so much you can teach by observation. There's only so much people can learn by observing your life. Did you know that to actually fulfill the Great Commission, you have to get up and do something? You have to say something? You have to speak something? The Great Commission requires us all to teach. The Great Commission requires us to teach. The primary problem that hindered Jesus' ministry while he was on earth is the same problem that plagues Christians today. The laborers are few. And I'm preaching this to a Sunday night crowd. A Sunday night crowd that some of our best workers in the church are here. But you know what? There's always more that we all can do. Too often... We're willing to work until it's time to actually work. Too, too often, we're willing to put our name on the list and show up and then try to see how little we can do in order to get by. But you know, I read this. Dr. Paul Brand, it's a doctor who worked amongst lepers. And he wrote a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And here's what he says about Christians working with people. He talks about Jesus working with people. He says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy, the legs of the cripple. He says, I have sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary, and smelly. With his power, he easily could have waved a magic wand, but he chose not to. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people, one by one, to feel his love and warmth and his full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not readily demonstrate love to a crowd. Get this. For love usually involves touching. Love usually involves touching. Now, you don't have to literally physically touch somebody. But do you know what happens? Those of you who have not ever been in the Awana program, you know what our workers do? They sit often one-on-one with these kids and help them learn scripture. You know what happens in VBS? Sometimes they're sitting one-on-one or with a small group teaching. You see, love involves touching. You see, if we're ever going to reach the world, we can't do it as a big group trying to reach a big group. The only way the gospel effectively spreads like wildfire is when one person chooses to reach out and touch the life of another person. And that's what we are called to do as the church. Now, we ought to do big things. We ought to, as as the local body of Christ, we ought to collectively do big things. But we as individuals have a responsibility as believers, as Christians, to model our lives after Jesus. And Jesus' ministry was one on one. The workers were few. The workers are few because so few are willing to do that one-on-one ministry. So what's the solution? Jesus didn't leave us hanging. He gives us the solution. In verse 38, he says, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Did you catch those last two words? His harvest. You see, it's not my harvest. I teach the Wednesday night youth class, and if there's a teenager saved up there on a Wednesday night, that's not my harvest. You see, if something happens in this church, it's not Brother Eric's harvest. If something happens, it's not Brister Baptist Church's harvest. It's his harvest. The harvest belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And so we need to pray that he would send workers into his harvest. Vacation Bible School is just around the corner, and, you know, all the main slots are full. But we announced this morning we still needed some group leaders to take some kids around from place to place. It's not very hard. You say, come on, kids, let's walk from one place to another place, right? How hard can it be to corral? (laughs) But anyway, so we need some more workers. And even if every spot gets full, you know, we can find a place for you. You know, I've never told you this story as a whole. I've told a few people this story as individuals. When we moved to Fordyce for a year, when we got there, of course, we got there in May, and VBS was coming up, and there were five people signed up for VBS. And they said, oh, those are the same five people that work Awana. I said, wait a minute, five people work Awana? Yeah. It kind of stirred me. So the Sunday before VBS was to start, I got up and I preached a sermon. And here's what I said from the pulpit. I said, you can sit at home on the couch and watch TV next week while children die and go to hell, or you can come tell them about Jesus. That's what I said. And then I said it, and I thought, did I just say that? We had so many people volunteering to work vacation Bible school, we didn't know where to put them. So where are y'all going to be next week? Not this week, but the next, you know, starting July 31st. 630? You, 6 30? 6? You probably need to be here by 5:30 or something? What are you doing? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We need to pray for our VBS just around the corner. We need to pray that He would send more workers for the harvest. And we need to pray for the harvest. It's another sermon. Awana's getting ready to get started. We need to pray that he'll send more workers for the harvest. I promise you we can use more workers in Iwana. What do you do on Wednesday nights? Might be some good TV on, but most folks got TiVo nowadays. You can record it. There's people we run into contact with every single day who don't know Jesus as their Savior. We are surrounded every single day with such a huge, harvest. We need to pray that God would send laborers into that harvest. But when we earnestly pray for the Lord to send someone to those unsaved people, we cannot help becoming open to the fact that he might send us. You see, This is not a suggestion from Jesus. This is a command from Jesus. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The disciples were commanded, we're commanded, to pray that God would send out even more workers into his harvest. Don't be surprised when he sends you. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray for more workers for the harvest. Is there anything before we dismiss?